Blog Talk Radio. Hello there and welcome to the Michael Calderon Show. We're so glad that you could join us. Uh, welcome once again. And uh, we, have, uh, we have an exciting show that, that we're looking forward to uh, this evening. I've actually been looking forward to this for a while. So uh, let me tell you about, about today's guest um, who is here. Um, so attorney Melissa Zelnicker Presser has served as the police legal advisor in plantation uh, to Chief Howard Harrison since 2011 and simultaneously serves as an attorney for the Broward County Chiefs of Police Association. Uh, She graduated summa cum laude and with uh, university honors from the University of Central Florida with her BA degree as a double major in criminal justice and legal studies. She went on to receive her Juris Doctor degree in 2002 from the Florida State University College of Law. Upon graduation, she was selected for a prestigious fellowship through Equal Justice Works and hosted her project at the Legal Aid Service of Broward County, catering to the needs of foster children who were also facing delinquency issues. Her project, The Bridge, provided representation to children in both the dependency and criminal justice arenas, working to bridge the gap between the delinquency and foster care systems that had to be an amazing obstacle. In 2004, um, she was awarded the Florida Bar President's Award of Merit on behalf of all Florida legal aid attorneys for her work. Um, are you guys uh, are you guys listening to all this? Subsequent to her work at Legal Aid Service of Broward, uh, she served as an assistant public defender in the 17th Judicial Circuit in Broward County, and also worked with her husband as a partner at the Pressure Law Firm. Missing her first love to serve others in 2008, she jumped at the chance to help establish the newly formed Office of Criminal Conflict and Civil Regional Council for the 4th District. She later became the Chief Assistant Regional Counsel for the 17th Judicial Circuit in Broward County, overseeing the Broward County office. She has uh, her career and passion were both born out of her own struggle as a survivor of sexual abuse and deep-seated commitment to helping others who are struggling as a result of their own trauma. So I hope that I've done uh, justice to her very impressive bio. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you. Can you hear me? I was having some technical difficulties earlier. Yes, yes, I can, I can actually hear you fine. Okay, perfect. So, um, so let's start. Let's start with. Uh, well, where do you want to start? How about that? Oh, that's a good question. Where do I want to start? Um, well, it's a it's a real pleasure to be on the show today. Um, I could have never imagined that we'd be talking about something like this. Um, you know, it's been very difficult during the pandemic um, for our law enforcement officers who are struggling. And I've been fielding a lot of phone calls from various friends of mine in different departments all across the county who, um, you know, not only are struggling because of the pandemic, but um, just what's going on right now in society. Um, you know, people are very unhappy um, with police departments. And so um, this has produced almost a secondary uh, trauma, if you will, to what they already experience um, on a daily basis. And so 
in my role as a police legal advisor, um, it's kind of ironic or, or strange that I would be talking about trauma when it comes to one-on-one -on -one with our police officers. Um, I obviously represent the chief of police and work with the chiefs of this county, but my, uh, my passion, my purpose in life, my drive was really born out of my own pain. And so um, just having that presence at my own police department or with other officers throughout the county um, has really enabled me to help people um, in a one-on-one -on -one basis. And so I noticed an uptick of calls to my own personal phone during this time. And so um, I thought it was something that was important to talk about. Uh, trauma is very stigmatized in the law enforcement community. I know it's also very stigmatized uh, in the attorney community um, and, and mostly law enforcement. And, and I'll even talk about my own profession. Lawyers um, do not want to get mental health help because they feel that they're labeled or there's a problem. People won't trust them anymore. There's something wrong with them. And even though we've come so far, I think the problem is that um, if we don't deal with our own traumatic experiences, whether it's first or secondhand trauma, or even the stressors of um, everyday life, uh, whether you're a police officer or not, uh, then the problem becomes, uh, it starts to aggregate. And then you really start to have a problem. So I thought it was important to come on the show today and, and start talking about it. Because talking about it is really, um, first and foremost, the most important. People see me and they think I'm totally normal. Um, I have this amazing job, I have this amazing career, right? There's nothing wrong with me. Um, most people don't know that I'm a trauma survivor um, and I have had my own struggles. Um, I've just begun to share my story after 20, I guess 20 something years um, of being in this career in the criminal justice system. And so um, I become a safe space for people to say, wow, you know, she has experienced trauma and I would have never imagined that. So I think by telling my own story, um, has really enabled people to trust me in that capacity. And I just wanted to sort of uh, talk about that and break the stigma and uh, really invite people, especially our law enforcement officers, um, to seek help amongst their own peers or cohorts or to reach out, um, you know, during a time that's just very difficult for everybody in the world right now. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you touched on, on so many, so many different points, you know, um, First of all, I think and to really look at your own personal journey that that has brought you to this point, um, right. and 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 also looking at you know the fact that you know um, it's a very difficult time to be a first responder uh, in today's climate, if you will. I know New York City is seeing a tremendous amount of uh, retirements and resignations like never before uh, in their police department. Um, and, and I think that people don't realize the trauma that that first responders go through. And, you know, and, and I, I want to also talk about the Blue Octave, which is a program that you have developed and and how that's going to assist our first responders and, and how it is already assisting our first responders. Cause I think that, you know, um, what, what, what impressed me, uh, when, when we first connected was, was, uh, the fact that you were moving so quickly on this and, you know, uh, time is really of the essence, quite frankly, because, uh, there's so much going on right now. And, and your program is so needed right now, more than ever before, more than ever before. 
But let's let's first, uh, as I said, let's take a step back, and I, I want to talk a little bit about your own recovery and your journey that's brought you here, and you know the fact that that you're juggling quite quite a few things, right? You're you're a mom, you're a wife, you're an attorney, um, and you do so many other things. And and it's all it's all uh, a balancing act, quite frankly. So, but let's let's start with with your journey and and how you've come to where you are now. So I really appreciate that. Um, this is my actually my first very public forum in policing speaking about this. Um, so thank you for allowing this. I really um, prayed about where I would tell my story. I have told my story in um, very smaller uh, small circles. But because of what I do, I actually was very afraid to speak about it. So um, it feels like sort of a breaking free um, to be able to come on your show and talk to your police audience and your law enforcement audience and some who may know me and be shocked to hear um, my story. Um, I think my recovery is key, and I hope people are listening because um, I was able to overcome clinical depression and anxiety um, and some other things. Um, I was sexually abused uh, multiple times. And um, I was a straight-A student. I was, you know, captain of the cheerleading squad. I was a very busy um, person looking to go to college and law school and really did not acknowledge uh, the trauma that had happened to me. Back in the 1990s, this was very taboo. This was not something you spoke about. Um, And so I sort of went on with my life. But in my private life, I struggled with uh, suicidal ideation, thoughts of suicide, um, cutting and other really horrible uh, behaviors because all of the things that I was struggling with were, were internal, which I imagine, and I have t- spoken to so many uh, trauma survivors, whether you're a sexual abuse survivor or not, and a lot of that pain, uh, there's nowhere for it to go. And so um, most of that was because I didn't want to talk to anybody because of the stigma of mental health, even back then. Um, and so I went through my own personal battle with that. Um, and, and doing things, that, all, all kinds of things, as you can imagine, uh, to quell that pain. Um, but the pain got, got deeper. Um, and so my journey ended up um, not so well because I was in a place where I knew that I needed to get help. Um, I uh, did not benefit from therapeutic services. I did not connect with a psychologist. Um, I did not connect with my medication. Um, and I, I sort of got sick of it, as I imagine um, other people within the industry do as well, because you kind of want a quick fix. Like, I just want to get better. I'm not trying to be sick. I just, I don't want to get, I just want to get better. Um, and, and really, I think when you get better is when you hit rock bottom. I think, you know, anybody who's been to AA will tell you that. Anybody who's been a trauma survivor will tell you that, or somebody who suffers from PTSD. Um, you know, when you hit rock bottom, you have nowhere else to go. Um, right. So that's really my story, right? And so when I hit rock bottom, um, I reached out to a peer-to-peer model where um, the group, it was a group model where the facilitator was not a clinician. She was a sexual abuse survivor herself. Um, the model of the program was five or six people within the group who were also sexual abuse survivors, and it was peer-to-peer. Um, I had entered it with the, you know, with the thought that this is not going to help me, um, but I felt very drawn to it because I said, well, at least these people you know, will we'll understand because they've been through this experience. Um, and really shocking, after all the years of suffering, um, within five weeks, I had made total breakthroughs. I had a group of sisters, and I call them sisters because they truly were, who understood my pain, um, who understood my nuances, who supported me, 
um, who called who called me and checked up on me. I had homework to do. I was held accountable. Um, and my leader was very, very tough on me, and I needed that. Um, I think my breakthrough, my personal breakthrough, came not only seeing what a peer-to-peer model could do, which changed my life, um, but five weeks in, because I was still in the same position um, as, I, as I am now in terms of my career, uh, was when I started to counsel everybody else in the group about how they were a victim and uh, giving them the right statutes and the right police departments to go to to report their perpetrators. And um, my facilitator turned to me and said, now it's time to acknowledge yourself as a victim. Um, And that was my breakthrough moment because I would never call myself that. Um, And that was when everything started to to really, uh, almost like an onion unravel for me. Um, And it was an unraveling. It was a very difficult recovery, um, but it was the first time I had ever made progress um, in, in, since, since the inception of my abuse. And um, I became a new person within a year. And then I later gave back by become a, becoming a facilitator uh, and running my own group um, for five other women who came through my group uh, to gain freedom from, uh, I guess, the chains, you could say, of, of abuse and the things that go on with trauma. Um, you know, from there, I really, I really progressed quickly from there. You know, I was able and open to other modalities of treatment um, spirituality and healing and um, using physiology, using the body um, to exercise, uh, incorporating a morning routine, um, breaking bad habits and acknowledging that, um, you know, just because something had happened to me that it didn't give me the right then uh, to hurt somebody else. And then I had to acknowledge the hurt. And what the peer-to-peer model gave me was the confidence and the tools to be able to say, you know what, um, it's okay. It's okay. And, and we're going to get you better. Um, and so I really became a consumer and a real believer in the peer-to-peer model. Um, I think. Let, let, let me just of- let, let me just interject one second because I, I just want to kind of get, uh, especially for the listeners, to to get an idea of you know the different the different places you were in terms of your journey, right? So, how old were you when when the sexual abuse started? Um, so I was a victim initially of child-on-child sexual abuse, um, and then that obviously was very confusing for, for a young child. Um, and then I had a, um, a second and a third exposure as a teenager um, because the behavior pattern was already there. Um, and because I had not gotten therapy or disclosed to anybody, um, the behavior started manifesting. So at that point, um, I was already making bad choices um, in a very private way because in, in a public way, like I said, I was an honors student. I graduated in the top 10% of my class um, in advanced placement classes. So I think like many other survivors of trauma, uh, or maybe not, I don't know, um, I was very good at masking my behavior, um, and, and I really suffered in private. So um, having that additional abuse at that point in my teens, I had already uh, recollected to myself that I was not going to live a long life, that I wasn't meant to live a long life, and that... Um, you know, whatever good I was going to do, I better do it quickly on the earth because I, I didn't feel that I was going to have a long lifespan. Um, and so that was kind of my thinking as a teenager, which is why I really invested in a lot of volunteering and activism. Um, and that's where sort of the genesis or creation of this idea to, to be able to help uh, juveniles came from, obviously from my own suffering. Right. And And how old were you when, you know, as uh, there's a quote that I – that I use quite a bit with folks. And it's that, that is when the pain of where you are is greater than the fear of where you're going, you'll get up and go. 
And, right. you know, how old were you at that point when, when that pain was so great that you decided to finally, finally get help? Cause it, it wasn't right away. No, um, I would say, you know, I made a very crucial decision. There were some, some points I made a couple of decisions when I was 16. I made a decision that, you know, if, if I didn't end up dying from, from the trauma, um, essentially, and hurting myself, um, that I was going to spend the rest of my life helping other people. And so that was a, that was a motivator for me at that point. Um, I also, uh, at another point, when I went to college, I had totally switched my major. I was a writer. I planned on being a writer. That was what I dreamed about my whole life. And I made a commitment um, when I went to college that I was going to be a criminal justice major. And that real, the genesis of that really was I had gone to a therapy session at, um, at UCF with a master's level therapist. Um, I was sitting in a session and he wanted to talk about my childhood and I wanted to talk about my abuse. And he was putting me in a box and you can't put trauma in a box. And, um, and I sort of excused myself and told him good luck with his graduate studies. And um, I made a decision right then and there that I was not going to receive any more help from the mental health community um, because I wasn't, um, it, it hadn't helped. And so I made a decision right then and there that I was going to commit my life to helping um, other kids who are abused or abandoned or neglected because if I couldn't save myself, then I would pour myself um, into helping children. So law enforcement wasn't even on the horizon back then. Um, really, my entire focus and my shift and my reason for living was to expend all of my energy working with kids to get them out of those situations. Wow. And did you ever think back then that you would be where you are now, both professionally and personally? Um, it never crossed my mind. Um, if you told me this is where I would have ended up a long time ago, first of all, I, I don't even think I'd tell you I would have made it because I don't believe that I would have if it wasn't for my faith in God um, and, and finding God. And that was my own uh, personal spiritual path, but he sustains me. So that, that is really an important factor in my recovery um, and the pinnacle of my recovery. But, um, you know, I, I sort of fell backwards into policing. I uh, worked, as, as you mentioned, I worked at Legal Aid with foster kids, very, very deep end psychiatric foster kids. Um, from there, I really fell in love with the, um, the idea of doing indigent criminal defense with, with juveniles. And so I made the transition to the public defender's office um, and then on to the, to the conflict office to run the office. And at some point I said to myself, you know, there's sort of got to be more than this. Um, you know, there's got to be a broader range of, of where I belong. My, my career had really taken off, but I really hadn't gotten help at that point. And I was really suffering from the stories of my clients. Um, as you can imagine, dealing with, you know, defendants anywhere from juveniles to, um, you know, to defendants accused of homicide. You can imagine the range of issues I was dealing with over in the jail. Um, it really started to have an impact on my mental health, and it was really declining. Um, and I had to do something. And I think the, the, the something that got me to get help uh, was when I got pregnant. And um, I had a reason at that point um, to want a better life and to live. So um, at that time is when I saw the job open for the Plantation Police Department. I checked all the boxes. I said, man, this, this is me. They might as well put my name in this box. Um, and so uh, that's when I made the transition over to law enforcement in 2011. And um, my breakthrough in peer-to-peer -peer really came uh, in 2013, uh, after I became a Christian and, um, was introduced to this peer to peer model and, and really, um, 
like I said, had it, had it really not been for my rebirth, um, for God coming in and entering my life, um, I, I wouldn't be alive. Um, you know, it was him. And, and, I, and I hope that, you know, people out there don't take that as that's, you know, that's the only path. I think everybody's got a, a very um, unique story. Um, but for me, that was what got me better because I made a promise uh, or a deal with God. And I said, well, I'll get better if you use me sort of thing. Right. And um, he knew how much I really, um, me helping people um, is really my addiction. If you want to say um, that's what makes me better. So um, I made a promise to God that I would go to recovery. And if I went to recovery, you know, I asked him if he would, if he would use me because I felt that if I didn't have a purpose, then I would not have a long life. And so I'm, I, I decided to do that um, because of my children and because of the promise that I had made to God at that point. Right. And, you know, and the reason why I was asking you the question, too, is because I know and, and I, I get messages from listeners all the time. And I know that especially now with COVID, um, people are in very difficult situations, personally, professionally. Um, people are dealing with their own demons and, and other personal struggles, you know, loss of work, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people are feeling helpless, helpless and hopeless, you know, and I want people to, to relate to the fact that those feelings are temporary, that that yeah. situation that you're going through is temporary. That you know yeah. there is there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and and if there isn't, then you need to light it yourself, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's important for people to realize that you know everything is temporary in this life, including our life, right? And um, the good times as well as the bad times are temporary because we, we go through phases in life and, and I'm hoping that more people will, will get some, some strength from hearing your story because, you know, you're, you're an example of that, right? You, you've, you've had quite a journey to get you where, where you are today and and we haven't even covered that part, right? But um, right. you know, you you you've been showered with many opportunities and blessings, you know, um, and you know the the work that you do is is work that people are not jumping jumping up looking and and volunteering to do the type of work that you do. They're just not, right. you know. Uh, it's not it's not the glamorous job, if you will. No, it's not. You know, so let's look at kind of your shift, right, in terms of continuing that peer-to-peer work and how how that really helps to apply to the first responders. And you and I, we've talked about this offline and you know, um, like you, I get a lot of calls and, and, you know, there's a lot of trauma out there, a lot of anxiety. Um, a lot. you know, I mean, we, we can, we can certainly have a whole discussion in terms of everything that's gone on 
since the Floyd killing, if you will, um, because, you know, I, I fought for a while. I initially, when that first came out, I, I didn't want to see the video. Um, and I finally, you know, because I, I just, I had heard so much about it and I finally decided, you know what, I needed to see the video to really understand, you know, the, the pain, the anger, all the, all the varied emotions that were going on, you know, so we, we really needed to, I needed to really understand that. So I watched the video and I sat there almost in tears because I'm like, I just watched a murder take place. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a, a cold murder take place. And, and I think that the public doesn't necessarily understand that no one hates a bad cop more than a good cop. That's right. You know, that's right. And other first responders. I mean, any, any time someone tarnishes the badge, if you will, and commits what, what this guy committed, the murder, um, you know, officers felt horrible nationwide. Police officers felt terrible about it. And, I don't think people get to understand that and and they don't understand the trauma that is related to that, that then, you know, especially, especially officers who, who may also be minority, you know, Um, I think, I think there's a, there's a combination of things, but I, I know from myself having seen that, I was like, wow, you know, uh, and understanding then the trauma and how that incident also re-traumatized other people because there's oh, a lot absolutely. of other people, you know, who, who are also re-traumatized by that. And, you know, just, um, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, um, I was um, participating in a, in a webinar uh, actually, not a, not a webinar. It was actually a Zoom call that was done, um, and they were looking at um, the whole Jeffrey Epstein um, story, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, ECPAT USA, E C P A T USA. They they hosted this forum with a judge, a therapist, and and the executive director of uh, ECPAT USA, and I'm I'm hoping to get them on the show as well, because they were talking about how Jeffrey Epstein kind of prepared his victims. Yes, he did. He groomed them. That's correct. He he definitely groomed them, and so did his girlfriend, uh, Guest Lane, I believe is her name. Um, You know, setting up the trust, you know, getting getting the trust, uh, you know, buying them all kinds of, you know, whatever they wanted, um, and gasoline, kind of helping them to feel more comfortable, taking taking their clothes off, and and you know, being in in Jeffrey Epstein's presence, and th- their whole discussion, they were looking at that whole scenario, and I and I thought to myself. Mm-hmm. 
what perfect timing because you know I knew you were coming on the show today <laughs> and you know and and obviously sexual abuse and and trauma is something that we could talk about for hours and and yeah and only scratch the surface unfortunately that's right you know but let's talk about the shift um to where we're at with the blue octave and and trauma with with our first responders. I know it took me a while to get here. You know? That's but, okay. It's, 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 but, there's a lot to talk about. So a there lot. is. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so, right? Exactly. Exactly. And and that's why I did want to mention you know this this panel discussion that uh, that was done is Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, colon filthy rich that was the that was the panel discussion that was done yesterday it was phenomenal phenomenal i'm going to try to certainly get Lori cohen and, and and the panelists um on the show but but let's get back to the blue octave and kind of where we're at with that so you know um it's been interesting the shift um you know obviously working as split schedule of sorts um, for the department, working from home, managing children, um, dealing with uh, various issues as an attorney with the Broward County uh, Chiefs of Police Association. And um, during that time, I was receiving just an exorbitant number of calls. I know you and I have spoken about this offline um, from friends, mostly first responders who, um, you know, who really felt comfortable opening up to me, don't necessarily know my story, but um, you know, at work, it's very well known that I have a sacred space, um, and, and it's something where people can float in and float out, and, it, and it's, it's really less about um, what I say um, and more of what I do in the space that I invite people into for a break, for a cup of coffee, um, for a hug, um, and just to be present. I really am a big believer in just the gift of presence, um, and I think when you are an empath like I am, um, you really feed off of that. Um, you, you need it to survive. So I really create that environment in everybody I help, whether it be um, I treat a, a chief of police or a sheriff in the same manner I would treat a officer who's been on the job for two days because I believe that, um, you know, every human is created in a beautiful and unique way and, um, and they deserve to be treated in the way that they need to fill their soul. So um, these calls were very disturbing to me. And it started after the heinous murder of George Floyd. I myself was uh, very emotional after that murder. I grew up in Miami in a very diverse area. Uh, most of my friends are African-American. And, um, and I really just cried and mourned with them. And so I had this very um, you know, interesting dichotomy from my background of um, my African-American friends who um, were feeling uh, trauma, and, and, and rightly so, um, and, and hate uh, for what had happened, but also just trying to understand, um, you know, how to juxtapose that sort of with, well, I hate the police, or do I hate the police, and and that sort of those sort of calls, and and especially from our what we call our lovingly call our black and blue officers, our officers that are African American in uniform, those were the hardest calls for me, um, you know, because of the psychology that goes on with that, and in, in being um, someone of color. Uh, black or brown, our brothers who are out there serving and then looking at their brothers on the other side of the protest um, and the trauma that's associated with that um, and fielding calls from high-level management um, across the county, tears, emotions, um, what do I do? Everybody hates me. 
Um, and then on top of the trauma that they already experienced, going to a call and maybe not being able to save that child that drowned um, or uh, a, a THI traffic uh, accident and seeing dismemberment or, or whatever they're seeing that's creating that trauma. So in addition, I sort of call, not that it's a, a technical term, but I look at it as stacking. It's like one thing on top of the other. So they've already been exposed to trauma. You know that they are not mental health consumers, just like I wasn't. Um, and now on top of it, you're putting your life on the line and, um, and everybody hates you and you're a black officer. So it was very overwhelming to me, uh, the number of calls that I was getting. And I answered all of them, all of them. Um, and overnight, I just had this inspiration to start this company, um, what I call the Blue Octave, to really give, um, to create a program for peer-to-peer -peer support um, in the same vein that I received help from peer-to-peer -peer support. Um, and it was just the right time because uh, a bill passed this year. It's actually effective July 1st, which actually encapsulates and ingrains in the statute, in Florida State statute, confidentiality for peer-to-peer -peer first responders. And it was like this perfect birth um, because I, as a legal advisor, the lawyer police, was always very against uh, not the peer-to-peer -peer model, of course, but my concerns over the confidentiality of confiding in somebody else and not having that protection as if you went to a psychiatrist or a psychologist that, that's um, excluded from the statute. Um, right. And so it was the perfect birth of these things. And so I started to work on a peer-to-peer -peer model. Um, in the same vein as I had worked on, obviously not for sexual abuse, but in dealing with um, many of the issues that our first responders deal with. Um, I started working on a coaching model for those that, you know, maybe needed some more one-on-one -on -one interaction. And I launched a Facebook page um, to put out free live videos of, of some of the things and techniques that I have learned, um, you know, to deal with trauma. One of my uh, biggest things that I always tell officers who come to me is breaking bad behaviors and um, going internally. And that starts with uh, making a move towards that, making an action. Um, and that, that starts with a routine. Um, officers right. love routine. Responders love routine. They're on shift. Uh, we're a paramilitary organization. It fits very nicely into the psyche of a law enforcement officer. Um, and so getting that into their brain and intentionally moving uh, towards the internal rather than the external stimuli. Because as I tell my officers who come to see me, um, you know, off the record for just some one-on-one -on -one just love, really. I mean, that's really what I'm doing is just loving another human being when they're really having a hard time or went to a hard call, um, especially some of the things we talked about after MSD, which was absolutely devastating for so many of our first responders, um, is really encouraging them to take those steps. Um, really, it's, I call it mission critical. You know, um, you are in a paramilitary organization, you're doing an ops plan, and you have a strategic plan, and you have all these great plans, but you have no plans for yourself, right? You have no plans. Um, and right. so I think even before somebody gets to a position where they start, let's say, abusing alcohol or drugs or get a divorce or what have you, and you're in a, then you're already in a disciplinary, right? You're already in internal affairs. My idea was, why, why does it have to get that far? You know, why, why can't we enter a, a space, almost like dipping a toe in the water, right? And they can dip a toe in the water and say, well, it's not, that, that, that's not hard, Melissa. I can, I can um, you know, get up five minutes early in the morning and listen to some soothing music. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Or I can come talk to you for five minutes about how my day was yesterday. That's not hard. Um, and, and giving them the same tools that I had, 
Um, and I think as you sort of uh, work with them in that way, uh, my idea really was just to bring my love, you know, my love for them and, and what they do, uh, their suffering and their pain that, you know, I've heard so many stories, as I'm sure you have over the years, and really um, put that together in, in this project that I call the Blue Octave um, to be able to create a model, a train-the-trainer model, um, exactly like I went through, obviously, but for law enforcement, so that they know, okay, I have a person here, and I can go talk to that person, and this person wears the same uniform I have, or this person has been involved in an officer-involved shooting, or um, they, they had a rescue that didn't go so great. You know, they weren't able to save that person's life, and they're dealing with trauma uh, from that. And they don't want to be a mental health consumer. Um, you know, the power of experience, um, the power of knowing that the person that's sitting next to you, your brother or your sister who's wearing that uniform, is on the other side functioning, is, should be enough for you to say, you know what, I'm going to try it. You know, I'm going to try right. to engage this person. And so the idea is to get them the same tools that saved my life, um, because I, to, to be quite honest with you, um, I always say by the grace of God go I, because um, had it not been for his interference, you know, I wouldn't have been at this level, um, working with high-level, you know, uh, law enforcement executives, working statewide on, you know, I co-wrote the SWAT medic bill and ran that bill with uh, many of our SWAT commanders here in the county and our awesome um, SWAT medics um, that worked, uh, worked at MSD, were at MSD. And I think about the incredible career that I have right now. And sometimes I have to pinch myself to be quite honest with you and say, um, how am I here? You know, how am I here? And I do, and, and immediately my brain goes back to if it wasn't for that peer-to-peer group uh, breaking through to me and making right. me feel normal, um, I would not be here. And I want to bring all of that knowledge um, into the Blue Octave, into a law enforcement setting, because that's what they need. They need a caring person, a loving person, a listening ear, and the skills to be able to know what to say when someone says, I'm just not doing okay. I'm just not okay. Right. And be right. able to talk to them about it and make them feel normal because it's completely normal to feel like that. Completely. Absolutely. And, and the other thing is I think it's also creating an environment that is safe where, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're not going to feel judged. They're not going to feel like, if I say something, my job's going to be in jeopardy. You know, um, I, I, I think that that message has to come from the top down. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I spent some time uh, meeting with uh, Miami-Dade uh, Police Department Psychological Services section. And um, they're you know, the major that's over that unit is also a licensed mental health counselor. And, you know, and she gets it. She gets it. And she's been a cop for, I think, like 25 years. And then they also have the victim advocates and the chaplains under that umbrella, right? Because they're all pretty much doing a similar, similar mission, if you will. And, you know, and that's why I've been impressed with, you know, Lauderhill, city of Lauderhill, yeah. with uh, police department and, and fire department, because the leadership there, they get it. They get it. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, you know, um, the, this is, you know, the type of support that that officers need so that 
you know, it's it's a um, um, it, it's kind of like an early warning system, right? Yeah. It's yes, it is. You know, that's exactly the idea. You right. you you and I work together, Melissa, and I see that the past few days you've been kind of down. You know, and I come over and I talk to you. Hey, Melissa, you know, what's going on? You doing okay? You know, um, and and maybe you share with me about really what's going on with you. You know, and then I can, I can help you to kind of work through it. And and you know what? Maybe maybe you do need to talk to the chaplain, or you know, maybe we do need to talk to somebody else in HR to to get you some some additional professional assistance, but it's about setting up that early warning system so that, you know, we can prevent things from escalating. We can hopefully save lives. I mean, we, we could also have a whole show just talking about first responder suicides and suicide attempts, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and again, just, you know, um, here locally, you know, looking at agencies in Broward, you know, I, I really have to give a shout out to Lauderdale because, you know, Chief Stanley and, and Deputy Chief Siegel and Deputy Chief Belcher, they, they get it. They, they've been cops for a long time. They know what it's like and, and they know when, you know, um, when there's an incident that, you know what, <clears throat> let's get somebody out here to talk to them, you know, and, and even on the fire side, you know, they have a critical incident stress management team that can respond and, and it's all peer to peer. It's all peer to peer, you know, and, and the chaplain's involved and, you know, um, th- there's a whole structure set up of support. And that's what, that's, that's really what we need nationwide you know and that's why it was so exciting to hear to hear your program and you know because because you get it also you know um yeah i'm a consumer i'm a consumer and um you know i have to say working with the brown chiefs is the greatest um blessing of my life i obviously love my chief i've been with him almost 10 years he's an incredible human being um i always joke i spend more time with him than i do my husband because i'm at the pd so many hours but I got the, the great privilege to work with Chief Stanley last year. She was the president of the Broward Chiefs, and what an amazing uh, human being. We became a very close friends, and um, uh, she's just a, so, always been so supportive of me and just such an amazing human being. I think, um, you know, when you have a project like this, a peer-to-peer project that you're rolling out, and this is very new territory, especially with um, the new bill that came out, in solidifying to our first responders, and I hope those that are listening will listen to me when I say, you know, with the exception of a, a couple of situations, such as, you know, obviously you're making some threats to kill yourself or some other exception, it protects you. It protects you so you can have right. that dialogue. Um, and I think having someone like me who's tried and true and said, you know, this healed me. I'm alive. I'm here. And now I'm one of the attorneys with the Broward County Chiefs of Police Association and um, you know, and done these amazing things in my career, someone who's healed. Um, and really, um, the body just has an amazing way and the mind has an amazing way of being able to heal itself with the proper tools. 
um, you know, that's why people believe me because the people that have worked with me um, sort of off the record again um, are people who know my story. Um, and so I, I'd always said, I don't, I don't really care if this company makes a dime. You know, I just knew after two weeks of being very emotional for all, uh, all people um, after uh, Mr. Floyd was murdered and, and just the, uh, the enhanced stress of the global pandemic plus the calls that we're getting. Um, I right. had to do something. I had to do something. And so this was really a labor of love that I am just, um, I've been up in 24 hours just creating, um, creating dialogue, um, you know, building our page. We're also creating an app um, that's going to come out so you can uh, interface with other peers in a confidential manner. You're having a tough shift at Alpha Shift and it's two in the morning and there's no one to be able to talk to. You'll be able to hop on this app and maybe it's a cop out in the LAPD or something like that. And you just need to say, hey, you know, I'm just having a tough night. Like, it just sucks. You know, I just saw X, Y, and Z, um, and it's really killing right. me, and I haven't slept in a couple of days. Um, you know, this is just an app about pay it forward, people caring. Um, and really, the only thing you need uh, to be involved in the Blue Octave is, is really a heart for a human being. That's really it. Um, you know, and that's what they'll learn in my training. Of course, they're going to learn other skills um, to develop, to be able to, uh, know how to talk to somebody who may be in a difficult situation and get involved before things can get bad. For instance, you know, if, uh, an officer may come in every day, very well-groomed, um, and then you notice one day, you know, his uniform isn't on so straight. These are very subtle right. uh, things. And I can tell you from my own um, experience, I notice everything. Um, and when I see one hair out of place on their heads, I, I confront them. Um, is everything okay? Uh, yeah, everything's okay. Well, just so you know, you know, and, you know, my office is situated, like I said, I have a coffee machine, I have paper cups. I'm very intentional about the space upstairs so that people feel that they're invited. And, and the funny part is I share space with internal affairs and people still want to visit me. So, um, oh, my goodness, you, know, you must it, be doing something right. <laughs> yes, it's a very inviting space, you know, and people will just come in and, and say, you know, I feel like I'm at a spa. What, what, what's in here? Like, what did you, are you burning something, you know? And I said, no, you know, I, I intentionally created this space um, so that you felt that you could take a couple of minutes and um, say hi or come up for a hug or, um, you know, just some words of encouragement. And we can shut the door. Sometimes it's for prayer. Um, sometimes it's just for silence. And sometimes it's for tears. And tears are prayers too, right? So, and tears are cries for help. But, you know, I want to be able to send them back out on the road um, with a new direction. And so it's just a change of mindset. It's giving them hope. Um, and, and retelling my story over and over and over again. Tell me, Melissa, again, how you combated, you know, depression. Tell me, Melissa, again, how you did it. Um, you know, and, and they love to hear it, you know, those of them that know my story. And, and now more people will obviously uh, know my story. But, um, you know, for, for me to be able to rise in, in almost 20 years, to be, able to, uh, to be able to be a part of the Broward Chiefs of Police Association for such a time as this, you know, in this climate, and to be able to advise uh, Chief Williams, who's our president, and our exec board um, and all the wonderful chiefs that make up Broward County, I really feel, as I, I share with Chief Williams, that we can be the example for the rest of the country and um, how we deal with mental health uh, with our first responders in how we have responded uh, to the murder of Mr. Floyd and all the things we have done um, to show people that who police officers are. I think sometimes people think they're robots. Um, they put on a uniform. They come to work. They respond. They see blood and they're okay and they just come home and there's no, they really dehumanize the officer um, and because in order to really hate anybody, honestly, you have to dehumanize them. Um, that, that's just the way you have to look at somebody. And so 
I think the officers, I think I know the officers are feeling the impact of that dehumanization. You see a lot of posts on Facebook. I have a wife. I have kids. They're crying. Um, my girlfriend, she's, she's scared for me. Uh, my tires were popped or, or, or whatever, because they have right. been dehumanized in the same way that Mr. Floyd was dehumanized. And when you don't have value, when you don't place value on a human being, um, you start to sort of take in that. If you, don't, if you haven't built up um, in yourself internally your own value um, and you start to be affected by external stimuli, as so many of our first responders are. And so that's what I really work on with them, whether I'm working on a one-on-one, is, is building up that confidence, um, really uh, moving towards purpose. This isn't a job. This is your calling. You're going to leave. You're going to leave when, you know, this is your arena. You know, how many other people are in this arena? You know, I talk about that quote a lot, right. um, you know, about being in the arena. And I'm like, these people are sitting in the cheap seats. You know, these people are, a lot of people are, they don't want to get involved. I've challenged a lot of people to become police officers, um, to help us, to have um, more black and brown brothers and sisters to come and be part of our force. Um, you know, think about it. Maybe it's not something you thought about before. You know, more women. We need more women. Um, you sure. know, I'm, I'm one of a very few uh, females in law enforcement. I mean, you know that in, in terms of my circles. Um, but we need more of that. And so I don't look at this as an opportunity to be upset or sad. Um, I look at this as almost like I, people are running out, you know, and saying this is the worst it's ever been. And I'm running and saying this, this is I'm running into the fire. I'm like, look right. at all the good that we can do. Look at all the bridges <clears throat> that we can build. Um, look at how uh, good it's going to be when we reform policing and we talk to our community and we get better. And, they get and, better. and you know, yeah, and, and you know, we're, we're very fortunate here in Broward County uh, that we have such diversity. We also, yeah. you know, we have, if, if I'm not mistaken, we have um, three females in the county who, who are at the chief level or above. We have the undersheriff. Nicole Anderson, the Broward Sheriff under Sheriff. We have Chief Constance Stanley, City of Lauderhill, and we have Chief Sonia Quinones with the Hallandale Beach Police Department. Did I miss okay. anyone in terms of high There's rank? There's a new female interim chief in Fort Lauderdale. Um, she's the interim, and she just started today as the interim role. So. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. Karen, yeah. Yes. Um, the chief was uh, was removed from his position over there at city of Fort Lauderdale. So there is an interim female chief. So that would be, that would be a fourth. Okay. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. We'll have to get her on the show. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. As many females as possible. Right. Yeah. And, and you talked about earlier, you talked about, um, your faith. And I just, uh, if, if we could just touch on that, um, because uh, you mentioned having become a Christian and that was in what year? I became a Christian in 2013. Okay. Okay. And, and what were you previous to that? Um, so I'm Jewish. I still consider myself Jewish. Um, my husband is Jewish. My whole family is Jewish on both sides. Actually, my husband's Israeli, was born in Tel Aviv. And, um, you know, I was, uh, I was a practicing Jew. I was always a very mystical person, spiritual person. Um, I ha- always had that side of me. Um, and becoming a Christian sort of just, I always say, made me a completed Jew. I just learned the other side of the story. <laughs> um, and so it's really 
made me very well-rounded, um, you know, and completed my faith journey. Um, I am of the spirituality of Mother Teresa, I always say, because I love the way that Mother Teresa ministered um, to the people that were dying in her arms. And she would always say, you know, I minister to people in a language that they understand. They're Hindi. You know, I'm going to minister to them that way. And I, I get chills right. when I think about it because that really is my model of helping people. Um, you know, I really believe every human soul is unique and, and made in the image and likeness of God. And um, you have to really honor uh, that about them. And so I really try to do that when people come to me for counseling um, or to talk to me. Um, I will only talk about my faith if they ask me questions. Um, but sure. I really try to work with their faith path or, or their lack of faith. Um, if they believe in the universe, if they don't believe in the universe, um, you know, I really tailor my advice to the path that they're walking and where they are in that moment. Um, because that's the way people get better. Um, that's the only way people get better. And so, um, you know, like I said, I can't imagine, um, not having my faith now. I can't imagine having gone through this journey without my faith. Um, and so it's my faith that propels me. Um, to continue to minister to people in the same way that Christ would, um, coming with love and compassion um, and just being with them physically and emotionally and spiritually. And, and I really try to embody uh, his spirituality every day, um, whether people recognize him or not, whether they, they know him or not or believe in him or not. Um, they see somebody who's real and tangible, who's a, who survived um, a very traumatic uh, experience, and, um, and, they've, and I'm successful um, in their eyes, you know, in the world's eyes. Um, and so sure. it's sort of unbelievable for people to learn my story and say, you know, wow, I, I wouldn't have in a million years, if you would have told me that, um, you know, I would have never believed that your life looks so perfect. Um, and right. it's not. It's not perfect. And it never was. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, and, and there'll always be laundry to do, right? <laughs> yes, and it's a, I would say I'm in continuing education, you know, um, I'm in continuing education. So I, you know, I have a very set program and set of habits. Um, I call them the tools in my tool belt, you know, very similar to AA, you know, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Um, it's the same for anybody that's been through, you know, my type of trauma. Um, what happened to me will never be removed from me. I will always have um, some inner scars for that. And so um, I have to maintain my mental health at an optimum level. And not only for myself and my family, but I feel a, a real sense of duty to our officers and the people that I serve. If I'm not in the top capacity and I'm advising the top law enforcement echelon of this county, the second largest county in the state, um, then I feel that that's a big disservice to them if I'm not bringing my A game. And so I feel a sense of um, uh, responsibility to all of our chiefs here in the county, the sheriff's office, who we work with, all of our partners, all of our community partners. If I'm not well, I, I'm not going to be able to do any good in the world. So that's my motivator. Right. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And and you know, it's it's such a um, it's such a I, I can't think of the word right now. I, I want to say task, but it's 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 a lot more than that. You know, I, I guess uh, to your point earlier, you know, mission critical. And yeah. And there's so many components to that. And, you know, sometimes first responders get it, sometimes they don't. And that is that, you know, their family is a part of mission critical. 
their family yes, support. Yes. You know, yes. um, I wrote an article years ago um, which had to do with, you know, spouses, law enforcement spouses and significant others being the silent partner to the law they enforcement officer. So you know, and people don't, they don't realize all of that. But, you know, even now, and, and a lot of the officers that I speak to, and even firefighters as well, um, with everything going on outside now, you know, in the media and in the communities, um, and not so much in South Florida, I think I think we have a very supportive community here in South Florida, but just nationwide, you know, with with the attacks on law enforcement and, you know, talks of defunding and, and, you know, and look, I'm all for uh, prosecuting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, what people don't realize is how does that wife or that husband feel or those children feel when their parent is putting on that uniform and getting ready to head out for their shift, knowing that there are people out there that wish you harm, that wish them harm. You know, um, how does that, has that family member supposed to be okay with that? You know, that's, that's a really tough situation. And, and, you know, I also hear similar things from spouses of civilian employees in in criminal justice agencies because everyone is just kind of like walking on eggshells. You know, there there's it's, a lot of fear, there's a lot of anxiety, you know, and we don't want first responders to get into a situation where they take no action because they're afraid of the consequences. They take no action, exactly. you know, lawful action, justifiable action. They don't do it because they're afraid. Oh no, the media is going to turn this around. You know, guy is looking at me. He's got a gun. He's pointing it at me. I'm afraid to shoot him because what's it going to, how's it going to go in the media? You know, we don't want it getting to that place. I, I, I've heard from first responders already that, you know, there is that fear out there. There is that anxiety about it. And uh, and that's why we, you know, with your approach and others, I think we can we can really, really kind of make a difference in, in, in everything, in everything. Kind of like one one step at a time, if you will. Right. One step at a time. That's exactly right. I mean, I like to keep right. things very simple. Um, I do it in my practice as a, as a legal advisor. You know, just keep things very simple. They are exposed, um, you know, law enforcement is exposed to so much information. The law is constantly evolving and changing. I try to make things as simple as possible. And, and this project, the Law Active, is, is no different. It, it's a very simple concept. Um, you know, if you become a consumer of this concept and work on yourself in the very beginning, and come back to your calling. That's our, our tagline is, is come back to your calling. And you've already resolved. Right. It's sort of like if, you are, if you're in a marriage and, and you've said no matter what, I'm not getting divorced. 
right? right? It forces you into a context where you have to work on it, right? Because you've taken right. divorce off the table. And so that's really my approach is to say, listen, leaving is not an option. You bleed blue. You, you went to the academy. You have a calling, a higher calling, and you know why you're here. So take it off the table. Come back to your calling and let's build something together that's going to sustain you because there's always going to be people that don't like you. There's always are going to be people that are unhappy with you. And that's true in our personal life. You know, and if we let external stimuli control us, then we are out of control. So right. we have to be in a situation where we are in control. And that's, and that's really what the Blue Octave is all about, is about uh, building, coming back, right, to their calling um, and enabling them to have the skill set to be able to uh, recall things when they're in the middle of a panic attack. I have my tools. I know my five, four, three, two, one. Um, I, I know that. And, and if I'm able to teach myself that, someone who was in, in some very deep end trauma and then was able to rise to the level of, um, you know, executive law enforcement uh, with, with every chief in this county, um, anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. Um, I'm, I'm nobody special, um, you know, in terms of. You are. Uh, You're very special. Yes, of course I'm special. Um, but, you know, I, I, to me, um, I, I'm, I'm not a person that um, I, I didn't have that skill set. You know, I, it was something that I learned. It was a learned a behavior. It was learning to see bad behavior. It was learning to correct behavior. It was learning to correct um, wrong thought patterns about myself. Um, and it was learning to uh, know that I was worthy of love. Um, and worthy of receiving love, and that it was okay not to be okay. Um, when I learned right. that it was okay not to be okay, wow, I mean, that was a huge breakthrough for me. Right, absolutely. Well, um, if folks, because I've gotten a few messages here, if folks want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, what's the best way to do that? So I have a couple of options. Um, they can go on Facebook. And um, they can find us at facebook.com forward slash the blue octave. Um, my Gmail is the blue octave at gmail.com. Or they can, they, can reach, they can reach me at um, 954-361-4592. Okay. All right. And, you know, knowing how people are nowadays with social media, I'm thinking they're probably going to go to – the Facebook page first. I think you sure. have uh, you have a Instagram page as well, right? For the Blue Octave. I do. I just I, I'm old. <laughs> I say I'm old. Um, I just uh, I started an Instagram. Um, so yes, it's also the Blue Octave. They can also find me on my personal page. I accept all friends. I love friends. Um, and you can find me my name Melissa Zelnicker Presser. Um, you can find me on my personal page. Um, or Instagram, but um, I, I'm always answering messages. If, if someone doesn't feel particularly comfortable calling me because they're like, I don't even know her, um, you know, I would say go ahead and send me a message on Facebook. I will respond. If I'm not working, obviously, I will respond um, right away. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't sleep too much either. So, you know, really, I, I just wanted to let people know that there's somebody out here that cares about you. Um, I may not know you. We may not have not connected, but we will. And um, I'm so supportive and loving of the job that you all do. Um, I pray for each and every one of you every day. Um, and I just pray that, you know, in, in, in my mind, that God will bring me those people who really need my help, or maybe you're a spouse of someone who's in law enforcement and you really need my help. Um, just 
you know, text me and say hi. Um, I won't fight. And um, right. maybe if it's just to um, interface with me and, um, you know, maybe have some initial dialogue about my own trauma. Um, I'm an open book. There's nothing at this point in my life that I do not feel comfortable sharing. I am completely healed. Um, you know, I don't get emotional telling my story uh, anymore. Um, and that's a big sign, right, that, that I have been healed. So um, I really encourage everybody, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to just reach out to me. If you want to learn more about right. Blue Octave, we're just getting off the ground. You have some ideas. Uh, your department doesn't know what to do. Help me. I need your help. I need you. You're, you're the police officer. You have the ideas. Um, help, me, help me get this company off the ground. I want to hear from you um, because really right. I, I value you guys and your opinion. So. Right. Okay. Sounds good. I, um, I'm so, I'm so glad that, uh, and, and appreciative that you were able to, uh, to join me today. Um, my, uh, my co-host was unavailable today, but, uh, she will hopefully be back, uh, next week. Uh, that's, uh, Vanessa. Um, so, um, I'm sure that we're going to have you back on the show and, uh, and you're always welcome to come back anytime. I want you to know Thank that. You. Absolutely. Um, so there you have it, folks. Um, definitely, definitely connect with her. Connect with, with Melissa, um, the Blue Octave. And, you know, if you, if you didn't get her, her email or you didn't get uh, any of that information, you can always send us a message through the show page and we're happy to, uh, to forward it to her without a problem. Um, I want to thank you all for, for tuning in to the Michael Calderon show. A uh, couple of, a uh, couple of brief announcements that, that I do want to make. Uh, number one, I do want to give a shout out to Zencare Pharmacy uh, located here in, uh, in Miramar uh, at 12140 Miramar Parkway. If you need, uh, you need hand sanitizer, you need Lysol wipes, any of those good things, uh, definitely check them out. You can go on their Facebook page. They're on Instagram, Facebook, and, um, you know, they're open seven days a week, which is, which is really helpful for those folks that, uh, that are working. Also want to give you guys uh, an update. Danielle Morgan, who's a singer who has been on this show a couple of times, her and John Merrigan uh, out in the United Kingdom, um, just came out with a new EP, so you definitely want to check it out. Go to DanielleMorganMusic.com or uh, follow her either on Facebook, uh, Twitter, or Instagram. Definitely connect. Uh, we play her music here all the time. Um, my condolences to um, to the family of Grace Testani, who was uh, also a friend and uh, an amazing jazz singer. Uh, she passed away uh, several weeks ago, and uh, and a dear a dear friend of hers, um, um, actually uh, a dear friend of hers, um, actually what she did was she had all the new CDs that that Grace had uh, had, and she shipped them out to friends of hers. Um, so I was very, very blessed and fortunate to have to have received one of those um, CDs 
from Grace Testani. May she rest in peace. Uh, just an amazing, amazing jazz musician and teacher. So um, my thoughts and prayers are with her and her family. Um, and that's it. You know, it's been uh, it's been another amazing week. It came by very fast, came and went very fast. Um, so I want to thank you once again for tuning in to the Michael Calderon Show. If you've missed a previous show or perhaps you logged on uh, late for this one, you can go back and hear the show. Just go to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Michael Calderon Show. I want to thank you so much. Uh, God bless you. Uh, Stay safe. Stay healthy. Don't forget to wear your mask. Wear your mask everywhere, everywhere. And uh, testing is still available. So um, definitely, definitely get tested. And uh, we'll close out with one of Danielle Morgan's uh, songs. Let's do um, let's do uh, On the Path uh, with Danielle Morgan and John Merrigan. Thank you so much. <laughs> 